This is the Shift Podcast. Rob Fay in for Shane Hewitt. Questions that I will answer for you. Are cyclists protected here in Canada? We talk with David Shelnut, the bike lawyer, who tells us how you can keep cyclists safe and why our traffic laws need to be changed. Plus your calls and your texts. Yeah, if you want to hear yourself, you can do it again. And what is your favorite meal to cook? Listeners took the time tonight to share their beloved recipes and culinary advice. And we asked you just minutes ago, are you okay with very old pets? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with wrong numbers? Uh, this is always so annoying. I mean, nine times out of ten, if you get a wrong number, you just politely say, hey, wrong number, sorry, and they leave you alone. But the problem is now people are using wrong numbers as a way to scam you. Like they make it like, oh, sorry, you know, they send, thank you so much, can't wait for dinner tonight. And then you say, uh, hey, wrong number, and then they use that to get you, and then they suck you in. So, yeah, it's a little sketchy these days. Yeah, I just don't reply to any text messages anymore, even when I know the people. Right. It's, it's just easier that way. I just. Well, I'll tell you what, the story here is about a wrong number that turned out to be good. We talk about the negative, but there are good times for a wrong number. For the seventh year in a row, a man from Arizona celebrated Thanksgiving this past weekend. Got to remember, in the States, it was, uh, it was Thanksgiving this weekend. With a woman who mistakenly invited him to her turkey dinner gathering years ago. It's now an annual tradition that goes viral year after year. His name is Jamal Hinton. Her name is Wanda Dench. And the story first got a little bit of traction back in 2016 when Dench accidentally texted Hinton for an invitation to Thanksgiving dinner. It was actually meant for her grandson. But get this, now the former strangers have not missed a holiday together. Oh, I'm like her. But what started as a mix-up and ensuing media frenzy has become a tale of something much greater. He's literally changed my life. And my point of view uh, on young generations... Uh, about being open to friendships when you think you have nothing in common with somebody. But when you just sit and talk to them, oh my gosh. They talk throughout the year, meet for dinners. When Jamal started a business, he put Wanda on the billboard. I've always told her whatever I'm doing, she's a part of no matter what it is. They celebrate all sorts of milestones. I accompanied Wanda for her first tattoo uh, about a month and a half. A tattoo? Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's like BFF level when you're getting getting tattoos, right? Matching <laughs> tattoos next. <laughs> they clearly have fun, but there have also been hard times. When Wanda's husband, Lonnie, died of COVID, Jamal and his girlfriend, Michaela, were there for her. I heard some rustling at my front door and I opened it up and Jamal and Michaela were dropping off a whole bunch of food and, and gifts and stuff. Dude, I love that story. That is a great story. That from the Today Show, by the way. Dench is moving into a new home next year, but despite that much longer drive, and it is significantly longer, Jamal says he's already planned out their eighth Thanksgiving dinner together, more than willing to make the drive. All of that from a wrong number. There we go. Okay, gentlemen. I do. I know. I feel good about that story. It's fate. They say it's it's fate. It's just year after year. It's still such an amazing story. I love it. Oh, that's yeah. the first time I've heard that. So that really? was, that was oh, new yeah, It for goes me. viral every year. Huh. Every year. Love it. All right. Well, fine. We go from the feels to uh, a rather interesting, are you okay? 
Gentlemen, are you okay with drug busts? Ooh, drug busts. You know, if it's a good one, I don't think it's necessary for police to post a picture of, look at this, we seized a tiny little bit of marijuana, we're going to take a picture of it to make it seem like it's a big deal. Like, no, that happens every single day. But if you do some of the busts that police have been doing lately, especially in Alberta, where they're finding thousands of fentanyl and opioid pills like that, I think it's more than fair to show off the good work there. I like drug busts from Dog the Bounty Hunter. Oh, the dog. The, the dog would kick dog. it down. The, the best is like, it'd be like an 80-year-old guy on ice. Yeah, Get on the ground. <laughs> and I was just like, dude, the guy's, the guy's already done. Like, you don't have yeah. to. I get it. It's for TV and it's whatever. Brennan, are you down with the drug busts? Yeah, I think they're they're good. That should be what cops should be doing, right? That's Busting what they're the out there for. Illegal substances. Getting the illegal substances off the... Uh, off the old streets there. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take you guys in a plane right now. We're going to go to the other side of the world because drug busts are important okay. and keeping those illegal drugs in the police departments are also important. I mean, you, you obtain the drugs from the back of the car. You take them back to yep. the cop shop, right? Well, in India, gentlemen, 25 kilograms of weed went missing from a police station. But guess what? There was a heist, but not by humans, by rats. The Nagpur government, (laughs) this is a true story. The government railway police say that the rodents allegedly ate all 25 kilograms, presumably getting rather high, kind of like this BBC reporter. Burning behind me is eight and a half tons of heroin, opium, hashish, and other narcotics. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Oh, man. According to the Mumbai Mirror, the police also found a large quantity of liquor missing from the Gudon where the stash was stored. Senior inspector believes that the rats could have been damaging the pouches in which the marijuana was kept. He also claims that the rats were behind the missing liquor as well. Come on. That they broke in the bottles causing the alcohol to evaporate gentlemen those rats like to party (laughs) right yeah there's the thing you could have maybe gotten away maybe gotten away with the rats eating the cannabis but you cannot as soon as you throw the alcohol in there no clearly the rats were not involved in this heist at all i sense a cover-up oh rats probably have a pretty stressful life they need to de-stress too just like that. Yeah, not every right? rat is ratatouille, you know? Yeah, like, right. Huh. I will say this, though, and I know that we put the dig at the BBC reporter. I had to, several years ago, cover the Vancouver 420. Oh, yeah. And I'm not a oh. weed smoker at all. So they send me down with my trusty microphone to get some, you know, insight from those who are uh, partaking. And so I'm down there right in the midst of it. And this is a huge cloud right out in front oh, of the yeah. art gallery. And I'm not lying to you, secondhand smoke, I was as high as a kite. And they're like, you're on in five. And I'm like, let's do four. Like, I was just giddy and laughing my ass off. And later on, they're just like, dude, were you smoking with everybody? I'm like, nah, bro, like not at all. But I was dying from the fumes down there, man. So I understand that this guy might have stole a couple of rolls from the rats down there. I used to live right there for a couple of years where they did it at Pacific and Butte because they did it down on the beach down there. Yes, the beach. And I would forget about it, and I'd walk out that day and be like, wow, it's hazy today for April. Oh, wait, no, it's the 420 thing. 
food trucks completely like <laughs> empty of any food because of the rats, yeah. of course. Oh, well. Oh, it's the rats. Yeah, it's not the humans. <laughs> how, about, yeah, no. how about the police superintendent doubly down be like, oh, yeah, the uh, the liquor's on the rats, too. <laughs> he belches. It evaporated. Oh, it even, where, where's the glass? It just evaporated. <laughs> yeah. It's just gone. It, where there's, they didn't talk about it if the bottles were found, too. What a terrible story. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Let's oh, get on to the – now, this it. one's going to tug – we may have very differing opinions on this. I hope you guys okay. are with me on this one. Our, gentlemen, are you okay with old pets? Ooh, that's a tough one because old pets are amazing. They're, you know, they're in the twilight of their life and they just, you know, all they really need is love and attention and they'll give that back. And it's kind of beautiful, but at the same time, so I never grew up with a pet. I never had one, never had one my entire life. And then when I met Laura, uh, they had a beagle named Litzy who was 13, 13 years old and kidney failure. Oof. And so it was very difficult to watch the dog die and to get really sick. And the, the that journey for the family, watching them have to go through that was really, really hard. So it is kind of just a, it, you know, it's a beautiful thing taking care of the old pets and making sure they're comfortable and giving them love. But at the same time, it's definitely like pulls at the heartstrings and it can be really difficult. Brennan? Yeah, I was bad luck with pets. My family had terrible luck with pets. They all tragically died super young, except for one cat. One cat we had that went forever and unfortunately became diabetic, and we had to give it insulin injections twice a day. Oh, wow. Yeah, luckily it was the most chill cat in the world that it didn't care. Yeah, you could just actually walk up behind it and poke it with a needle I just didn't care it was great but it went on for a very long time getting insulin injections and she she lived to a ripe old age it was probably the oldest pet I had and uh you know I uh she did deteriorate towards the end so I can relate to yeah. what Ryan was saying there but uh yeah no I like the old pets though we have been They're there wise. we have all been there well I'll tell you what guys I found a very old cat who goes by the name of Flossie who just a couple of weeks ago turned well, actually, she was about to turn 27. I, have I given wow. it away? <laughs> she was Older crowned me. the world's oldest living cat by the Guinness Book of World Records. 27. Isn't that's, that something? Older than Ryan. <laughs> that's older than me. That cat has been on the earth longer than I have. Do cats count years the way that dogs do? Because isn't it one human year equals seven ca- dog years? Oh, that's it's, not, it's not seven. And also that metric, you know what's crazy is that like – it's really hard to like put a number to it because dogs mature like 10 times faster than humans do. We take a long time to mature and uh, that's why. So like when they're really young, it's like seven years ahead. And then when they're in their, you know, teens, it's like almost even and then it speeds up and slows down. But I think cats are on the same page with like the seven. I think that's the general consensus. Well, cats tend to live a little bit longer than dogs. Dogs live to true. their mid to early teens. because cats are more chill. Teens and cats live to like 20. See, my thought is the cat eats the rat in India, therefore yeah. ingesting all the weed yeah. and chilling out. Yeah, yeah, well, that would explain their temperament <clears throat> for, until they're very much not that. <laughs> 
All right, gents, it, it, quit interrupting me here. I got some serious cat stuff to tell you. So we're talking about the 27-year-old cat. The brown and black cat from southeast London is roughly, okay, see, now I've read this story. The cat is roughly 120 human years old. This is why I asked the stupid question. You guys should pay attention to me once in a while. Anyways, she's from Orpington in the UK. I wonder if the cat has an accent. And it is in good health despite her incredible age, though she's deaf and poor-sighted, so says her owner. I'm Victoria and this is Flossie. She's been awarded for currently being the oldest living cat in the world and she is 26 years old. And uh, we, we get on very well. I don't feel like I'm living with a senior. <laughs> I was looking to adopt a senior cat and um, went online on Cats Protection and she happened to be the first a senior cat that came up and uh, I just felt like she was perfect. I don't think I'll treat her any differently because she's broken a, a world record. I adopted her on the sort of basis that this is her retirement home and she gets whatever she wants. I want to sort of, you know, make her last years the best that she's had. I just want to make sure she's having a good life. Are they trying to make us cry with the music yeah, there? Yeah, with the, the music. Yeah. I didn't know God, if I was going to cry or if Harry Potter was going to come with a Quidditch ball and yeah. get it played. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Green previously owned a cat who also lived long to 21. Named her Honey Bun, which is actually one of the greatest currencies that you could have in jail. Anyway, she's got firsthand experience taking care of senior cats. Flotsy's had many homes since she was born back in 1995, outliving wow. two owners. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Wait a minute. I see a pattern there. <laughs> yeah, I see a pattern. A... I see two owners? Yeah, I'm going to leave that right where it is. Flossie mm. might be the oldest living cat, but she cannot lay claim to being the oldest cat who ever lived because that title, I did some research on this, that title belongs to a cat named Creme Puff. Or is it cream puff spelt with creme? Anyways, who lived to be a whopping, get this, 38. That's my what age. The cat's as old, was as old as I am. Gosh. That's, um, wow. That's insane. 38 years old? Isn't that like, like 180 cat years? That's two or, yeah. I could, like, I think the meow would probably sound like meow. <laughs> or it wouldn't even be able to make a sound. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, good for the cat. Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight is a long time. You know, sad that dogs can't live that long. Well, (laughs) I will tell you this, and I say this lovingly: my dog, who's five or thirty-five in human years, uh, I will go to the wall for him. If that dog lives six years or sixty years, I will do whatever that guy needs. He's my guy. I understand the affection with pets, especially cats and dogs. It's when you get into the other type of animals, like for example, fish. You know, I I got my daughter a fish. The fish lasted two weeks. You know, then we get another fish. It lasts two weeks. Those stupid beta fishes, they never last like more than a month. Is it fishes or just fish? Anyways, then we got one that lasted like seven months. And we treated that thing like it was Betty White. Like it was the greatest thing ever because it was like, oh, my God, look at all the legs we're getting out of this one stupid fish. But I had no connection to it at all. Well, no, what's the point? Fish don't even have like short term memory. Snake, they forget who you are. Fish, goat, yeah. no connection to any of them. No. What's, what's the point of having a fish? 
seven months is probably some well, kind of Well, fish is low maintenance, right? You throw a couple of those little stones in there, it eats in the yeah, way you go. it's like pets for lazy people. Huh. You know, I watched Gordon Ramsay once. You'll appreciate this, Ryan, because, you know, you're always looking for the next great recipe. Mm-hmm. He taught his kids about, about meat by having them raise a pig. So right from it being a little piglet all the way until they took it to the back barn and killed it, they basically learned how to raise this animal and then appreciate the fact that these animals are essentially giving up their life. Could you imagine that? Little, you know, little Ramsey. I think her name's Matilda, by the way. And uh, yeah, so I don't know why I know that. But anyways, sure enough, she's now 13, 14, loves this pig, has raised this pig, has pet this pig, fed this pig, cleaned it up. And now you got to take it to the back and like slit its throat. Oh, that's, I don't, yeah, I don't, I feel like there's a more humane way to do that. That's a pretty, well, how do you kill a pig? That's a good dad lesson. Well, most slaughterhouses don't do anything like that. It's more of like, it's an air gun. It's like instantaneous, painless. Mm, So I'm pretty sure Gordon would do the same. Well, at least for what I've been told. Have you ever seen that documentary, Where's the Beef? I will never forget it. I think it's Where's the Beef. The very last, uh, they show you the whole process of like how, like how these animals are being inhumanely killed and and whatnot, and the very last scene is them slitting the throat of a of a cow and the blood just gushing wow. out. Not not for radio. Good morning, Canada. But I'm just saying, like it is. It's real talk. So, it, like for example, into the inbox here, cat years changed through. Okay, sorry, I didn't know we we're going to go here. Cat years changed throughout the years. The first year, great segue by the way. The first year is said to equal 15 human years. The second year equals nine, and the third year is said to equal four. I don't know if this is true, but I read it once. <laughs> Oh, God, I read the whole thing until I got to the last sentence. That's like a choose your own adventure and the last page isn't there. Thank you, Denise, for, I don't know, that's like fortune cookie logic. Yeah, well, who knows? God, I wish I would have read that whole I thing think, first. I'm looking at a table, actually. Yeah, that's about correct. Looks what? like, so if a cat is one month old, that means it's basically about a year Three months, four, six months is 10, and then it does change. So when a cat is 11 and up, it's plus four for every additional cat year. So if your cat is 11, they're 60 years old. And if your cat's between three and 10, they're 28 and then plus four for every additional cat year. So it does change. It's not like one one stamp for the entire cat. So this cat is, I feel like, uh, Flossie, what's her uh, yep, Flossie, you got it right. Yeah. Flossie's gonna live longer. I can tell. Looking at this cat, you know when you watch when you watch the video, she's eating really well. She's eating like a lot, like I would imagine from a normal cat that's hmm. not three thousand years old. So I'm I'm confident that that she's good to go. I'm confident. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> she's seen good five Canadian prime ministers. Flossie, that's you how five, long, yeah, that's that's right. how long Flossie's five. lived. Five Canadian prime ministers. Five U.S. presidents. You know what I love? Like in radio, they give you these charts every morning, like uh, celebrity birthdays and da 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 da. And it'll be like, oh, Rihanna's thirty five, and then it'll be like, Abe Lincoln would have been one hundred and thirty six. I'm like, no, he wouldn't have. <laughs> like, I think they need to cut it off at a certain age. Like after eighty, there's pretty good chance that he would have died at eighty. This is the Shift Podcast. You know, last week, switching gears, speaking of Toronto, a Torontonian was killed by a right-turning motorist. Such right turns are actually banned between 4 and 6 p.m. on weekdays. Death 
was a real shock to the family of the 20-year-old cyclist. And unfortunately, he is not the first victim of a crash like this. David Shellnut is the biking lawyer. I brought him on last week on 640 Toronto to learn more about why bike lanes can be dangerous and what needs to change. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, doing okay, but certainly very uh, sad for uh, Mr. Sainte's family here. Well, it is one of those things that is a really sobering moment because I think it's overlooked. And when I bring that up, I say there are so many bike lanes right now that I think we really need to change just the way that we drive when it comes to this. But before we get into that, I'm going to talk a few of the legalities of this because I think there's a lot of questions that remain, uh, just a couple of details that are out there so far. So I guess my first question is, was the driver ticketed for making a right turn onto Young Street from St. Clair, which, if memory serves me correct, is prohibited when this crash occurred because you can't make a right from four to six? That, that's exactly right, Rob. Uh, the Toronto Police uh, investigation, I think, is still ongoing. I'm probably looking at a number of different things. Uh, seems pretty clear to us, um, and it wasn't raised in their press release, uh, that the right turning was not permitted at this time. Um, and so whatever else happened is kind of a moot point if, you, uh, if you're making an illegal turn and hit somebody. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you this. Was the gentleman bicycling or was he walking in the crosswalk when he was hit? Really unclear to me uh, at this point, uh, Rob. We, we simply don't know. It's, it's unclear from the language um, that was used. Uh, if we know that uh, cycling in the crosswalk is not permitted, but people do it at busy intersections like this where it's unsafe. Um, to to for for many new riders or, or even experienced folks uh, to try and navigate intersections um, with normal vehicular traffic that isn't you know obviously looking out for us. I think there's a lot of questions, and and, and I cycle. I don't cycle every day, but when I do, I am under the assumption that I am of equal value to anything else that is on the radar for a driver. For example, if I'm coming up on his right, I just assume that that driver is going to be looking at me the same way that he would look at a vehicle. But that's something that I don't know if a lot of drivers take into consideration when they're, you know, A, making sure that there's no pedestrians, making sure that there's no cars, they're making sure that the light's the right color. And then all of a sudden, I think this psyche is still needing to be changed wholesale where you take that extra second to look to make sure that there's not a cyclist on the road as well. Rob, you are, you're exactly right. Um, I, from personal experience, I was hit by a driver uh, making a right turn, uh, failed to indicate while I was in the bike lane. I broke my wrist and my elbow. I, I wrongfully assumed he was checking for me. Um, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I think, you know, people on bikes uh, should always assume that either they don't see you or they're not taking the time to. Um, and uh, we ought to have our rules beefed up um, like the former uh Protecting Vulnerable Road Users Act, and now it's the Moving Ontario Ontarian Safely Act that's before Parliament, um, a provincial Parliament, to uh, put real fines uh, and, and real penalties in place, so that if you hit somebody with your motor vehicle and you cause them life-altering injuries, uh, you're not just going to get a slap on the wrist or, or talk it down with the prosecutor. Well, let's talk about this, David, because I think the rules might be a little outdated considering how quickly um, lanes have been added throughout the GTA, that maybe it's time to do something like 
just straight outright ban rights on red. I know there's a lot of people that will scoff at just the the sheer thought of that because, it, again, it breaks a habit. But are we at that stage where maybe we need to consider that? Certainly, I, I think that's a big part. Uh, places like Montreal do it. We know that the data says that when you do stop rights on reds, collisions go down, less people get injured. And that costs us a lot less uh, in terms of resources in our hospitals, employers looking after injured people and families, too. Um, It just makes sense. Um, But, you know, here we have a case where rights weren't permitted at all, but the guy still did it. Uh, So we need to couple that like um, strong road laws uh, and and, and not allowed to make right turns with punishment. Um, And the Moving Ontarians Safely Act uh, can do that by, you know, you lose your license. Uh, You have to go through retraining, community service, uh, real penalties for if you injure somebody so that you know when you're out there driving and racing to Costco, you ought to be thinking about other people. David, you've been at this for a while. I mean, you're the founder of the Biking Lawyer, LLP. You've seen a lot of change in our city over the years. What's one thing that stands out to you that just hasn't been able to get over the hump? What is one thing that we still need to improve on that we're just not there? Is it strictly penalties or is it something beyond that? Rob, that's such a good question. We could we could talk for ages about that. You know, <laughs> Probably. Uh, the, the municipality's done a good job in many cases of, of putting in infrastructure. Uh, the pandemic helped that along. What I see day-to-day on the streets, I'm biking out there, our clients are getting hit out there, uh, is a real attitude, um, uh, and, 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 and things seem to be really stressed right now after the pandemic. We, we People that jump behind uh, the wheel ought to remember that driving is a privilege and not a right. Um, and you getting from point A to point B cannot trump our collective safety. Uh, you know, we really got to take a breath behind the wheel, slow it down, and think about others. I'm just going to play the devil's advocate to make sure that I give both sides of this. A lot of drivers will say, for example, courier cyclists and, and those right now that are weaving through traffic almost should lose their rights to, you know, having a certain right away for the simple fact that they're not adhering to the rules of the road either. Is that something that you could at least say, well, they've got to improve on that front as well? Everybody's got to be safe out there and be courteous to each other and follow the rules of the road. The simple fact is, though, that the physics uh, of damage and harm caused by a thousands of pounds of automobile versus a bicycle simply not equatable. The Toronto Police's own data data shows that people killed and seriously injured in collisions with automobiles versus cyclists is about 17,000 to six. So yeah, we should all be safe, but let's address the real problem in the room. Mm, That's a great stat to finish up on. David, I appreciate you shining light on this, and I appreciate you coming on considering uh, the somber tone that we had to bring you on this, and uh, I do thank you for your time today. Thank you too, Rob. Ride safe out there, pal. That was David Shellnut. Uh, no one is the biking lawyer. You can find him online at thebikinglawyer.ca. You know, I cycle, I scoot. I do all kinds of things on the road. And you know what? I, I, I was going to ask you a question, Ryan, about just the scootering, the couriering, the cycling. I mean, and not everybody listening today has to worry about bike lanes in their community. But in major cities, for the most part, I mean, it's just kind of a, a regular thing now. Do you feel that drivers have started to alter the way that they treat those bike lanes, or do you still feel like it's a problem? Well, so I think one of the issues, I'm in Calgary, and Calgary has a lot of good bike lanes, but the thing is, they're all downtown. 
And then there's little pockets where you can find them in some suburban areas. There's just, it's just not a consistency. They're not everywhere. If every road in every town and every place in Canada had a bike lane, you would be used to sharing the road with the cyclist 24-7. And you would be less likely to make the kinds of mistakes that we make when we're driving downtown hmm. and all that. And now all of a sudden, oh, I got to deal with the cycles here. Oh, I got to deal with Ryan on his e-scooter zipping around at 25 downtown. And I think if there was more consistency in the roads and all of this, that it would just be a little bit more safer. And in terms of am I seeing drivers do this differently? No, I just think consistently the problem is that we just don't have enough bike lanes so that people are constantly thinking about sharing the road with a cyclist. You know, I don't know the answer to this. And Brennan, we we both live in Vancouver. Is there a sign that designates that the next road that you're going to go on has a bike lane? I'm not sure if I can answer that question. No, no, I don't believe that there is. Because he brings up a really good point that, you know what, some streets have them, some streets don't. So unless you're aware of it, I mean, not everybody's looking at the ground to see that the paint is green on, you know, said street. I don't think there's an actual designated sign for that. No, and there's also an inconsistency to the construction of bike lanes, whether Mm. it's sometimes it's just a line, sometimes it's green paint and sometimes it's a full-on like division uh with a curve and i think that a full-on division with a curve if they were all consistent like that would uh, eliminate a lot of these problems because it would be so noticeable that there was a lane that's expensive yeah that's almost like a sidewalk type thing where Hmm. you're definitely going to look when you're making a turn you know i think what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to start to say, hey, man, we got to update the rules. I mean, it's 2023 soon. You know, we don't have enough policy in place here um, when it comes to the rules of the road to address this. Like, even in talking to David Shelnut, the lawyer, I was just like, so what do we do? Do we ban rights on red or, just, you know, like, what do we do here? And he's like, well, and, and this goes back to, to what you guys were saying, that there's just inconsistencies. And I think somebody's going to need to, at some point, tighten those up. Yeah, and I mean, rights on red. Um, many United States states don't have right on red. It is generally just a, a Canadian thing, is it not? Mm-hmm. And I think of the UK as well. They were equivalent because you flip the sides. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, but it's so, it's, it's like a habit here for in Alberta. You know, it's right on red pretty much on every street, you know, is, uh, it's it's different and another thing too is that is, is the amount of people that are cycling i think is definitely going up right you don't want to pay for gas so more people are just going to bike even in the cold and canadians can bike at literally any time of the year and i mean hey you think it look at like a city like utrecht in the netherlands where 51 percent of the people that live in that city are cyclists more than cars right like we just don't have those numbers here By the way, we got something in the inbox. Hey, Rob, I can speak to bikes and scooters in Vancouver. Do you want me to call in now? (laughs) Absolutely. You know me. I love the calls. I love the ways to do it. If you're a Vancouver guy, 604-280-9898 if you want to do it. um, 604-280-9898. I don't know if we'll have time for this segment, but we can see if we can squeeze you into that final segment before we start things over because we have a little time in that next one. I love it that somebody texts me to ask me if it's okay if they can call in. Hell yeah, you can call in anytime you want. I will say this, and I am guilty as charged. I very rarely 
I mean, because you got to think of all the things you're looking at at road, especially as you're coming up to an intersection. You've got the lights to worry about. You've got signage around you. You've got the crosswalk where you're looking for, you know, the regular Joe walking across the street. You've got the guys on the left. You're doing your shoulder check. The last thing I do on my mental checklist is check to see the bike lane. Like, for sure. And, and I come up there. Dude, sometimes I'm driving up Smythe with, like, a five-ton truck because I'm hauling a ring around because I'm a wrestling promoter in my spare time. And I can tell you this, man, I got to be better because <laughs> there's just no way to do it. Okay, Jeff is kind enough to call in. The bat signal went out. He's answered this. So, Jeff, I'm going to bring you on. Jeff, talk to me about cycling and talk to me about the rules of the road. Good evening, Jeff. Good evening, Rob. Uh, first of all, welcome back. I did ask uh, uh, Shane a few weeks ago, a few months, a month or so ago, what happened to you? And uh, he didn't have time to answer, but we're glad to hear that you're still around. <laughs> I'm still living. I'm still yeah. around. Nobody's are you in Vancouver? Me. Where are you? I, I, I am based in Vancouver. I get to okay. look at Brendan's uh, beautiful face every time I come in to cover a shift. Fantastic. Well, I, I'm a Vancouver. Uh, I, uh, I do. I walk. I transit. I, I scooter, e-scooter. I bicycle, and so on. And in Vancouver, uh, we have now. Um, Ryan can speak to Calgary, but I uh, and I was in Calgary twice this summer. I don't. I remember seeing the bike lanes there, but the bike lanes here, when you are on certain streets, <clears throat> uh, there is no right turn allowed. Uh, and in some cases, again, it depends on the street, and, and there are signs indicating no right turn on red at this intersection. And uh, there's green paint. There's green paint from where the cyclist would uh, and the car. The idea is that the cyclist and the car or, mo- or the motorists are supposed to see uh, that there's green paint on it. And it's, wi- it's wide. It's a wide swath of paint right where the cyclist would travel. And, uh, you know, motorists are supposed to notice that. You know, if you're turning right or you're in this green paint, there's a con- there's a possible conflict. Now, uh, the main thing I wanted to call in and say, Rob, about this is, y- you <laughs> we can we can have as many laws as as possible, and there's still going to be drivers and cyclists who will make mistakes. And I never ride either my scooter or my bicycle unless I have my referee's whistle. And I'm talking hmm. NFL, CA, uh, C- uh, CFL, NHL type proper metal whistle in my mouth. I have it on a chain around my neck. I don't want to take my hands off my uh, handlebars to, you know, to have to like try to ring a horn or or anything like that or my bell. I have it right in my mouth. And if I need to, and I often I do, man, that thing just blasts out like it's a traffic cop right on the corner and the motorists immediately stop because they're not sure what the hell was that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's one of the things I wanted to say, you know, to keep cyclists and scooters safe is, you know, and it wouldn't even hurt for some pedestrians to have a damn whistle in their mouth, well, to be honest. at certain intersections in this city, yeah, Jeff, I appreciate your call. We're up against the clock, but call back another time, and I will definitely take your call. Uh, the old Fox 40, that would get a lot of people's attention. <laughs> it sure would. This is the Shift Podcast. This is, this is where it gets exciting, because this is where I actually need some help, and I wanted to share something amazing. The highlight of my weekend was not watching Andor. It was not building my Lego. It it was none of that. Huh. It was my soup. Your soup. Yes, oui, my soup. I really, really wanted to make French onion soup this weekend. I have never made French onion soup in my life. I've never had French onion soup. 
And while scrolling through the TikTok, I found a recipe from the most wholesome man on the internet, which I will post a link to this recipe on shiftheads.ca, the Facebook page, so you can check it out for yourself. An incredibly easy French onion soup recipe. And I tried it. I put it all together. I cut up the onions. I cut up everything I needed for this ridiculously delicious recipe. I put the labor into it. I put two hours into making soup, which normally my meals take 25 to 30 minutes. And I loved every single second of it. Finally, after all these years of waiting to try it, I finally had a fresh bowl, like the special bowls, of French onion soup with the baguette on top and the Gruyere, Gruyere, how do you say that? Gruyere cheese? How do you say that? Gruyere. Gruyere cheese? I want to know how you had that music queued up before you told us that it was French onion soup. It's magic. Because I have to have the French music. I'm not very good at the French accent. My accordion. And yes. Uh, So that's what you were doing under the desk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's it's very easy instrument to play. Of course. Yeah. we all know that. Um, and yeah, so <laughs> really? I had the. I, I no, probably not. It's probably very difficult to play. Regardless, oh. the French onion soup, following a recipe to a tea on TikTok, and the final result was absolutely delicious. It was so amazing. It was the first time in ages where I really put a lot of effort into making a meal for myself. And it was probably the most rewarding piece of self-care I have done in months, weeks for sure. And now I just want to make soup for everybody. And so this is why I bring this up, Rob, and to everybody, is because I'm curious now of what your favorite thing to cook is. What meal prep, what thing putting together brings you as much joy as I got for making a big bowl of French onion soup. Ooh, I think we should open this up to the phones. Yes. Let's go to the phones. Elsa has been waiting uh, from Vancouver. Elsa, good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. How about yourself? I'm okay. You got a question about the soup, or are you going to let us know what uh, your go-to meal is? Oh, I made a really wonderful soup one time only, and uh, I'm really curious. So um, what did he, did he make a roux? To do the French onion soup base? No. my friend who's a chef showed me how to make a roux, which is really important for soup. Mm-hmm. Brown flour, like you brown white flour, in, in butter. You just do a little bit at the bottom, and then Ooh. you whisk it and make the whole rest of the soup around that. He said it was very important. Yeah, so, Elsa, I didn't do a roux for this recipe, mostly for time. I did, obviously, caramelize the onions, but I know with the roux, it's adding the flour, and it adds a little bit more... Uh, texture to the onions yeah. and gives the broth a little bit more of a a thicker uh, sort of <laughs> consistency to it. But I will say that I would try that for the next time that I do this recipe because I will absolutely do it again. And I think that'd be the one thing I'd change is to add a little bit of more texture to the onions because they obviously get pretty soggy in the soup. Oh, yeah. And it gets thin. But that sounds wonderful. Did you put it in one of those bread balls? Oh, uh, no, but I had I had the special, I don't know what they're called, the special bowls that have the little handle, and then I covered the soup with the bread and put the cheese on top with some chives, and it was delicious. You're making me hangry. That's the job. That's what I'm I was going to say. Should I, <laughs> should I step out for a couple minutes here and just let you guys have this conversation? Are we good? <laughs> we're good. We're good. Thanks for sharing yeah. with the soup. <laughs> of course. Uh, amazing. Not bad. Call back anytime. Else. I need a cigarette. Okay, here we go. To the inbox we go. I love making spaghetti a la The Sopranos. 
In one episode of the show, Ralphie demonstrates that after you drain the spaghetti, you have to toss some butter into the pot. I I, I love this. Butter into the pot and then dump the spaghetti on top of the butter, put it back on over high, and then fry it for a minute, stirring rapidly. The result turns boring old spaghetti into an artery-hardening delight. That coming from Josie and uh, she's calling from Calgary. This one coming from Colleen, the church lady. I make a killer mac and cheese. Brennan, do you have a go-to? Uh, my culinary skills are not really the greatest, which is funny because I was a, um, I was a, a chef uh, or a sous chef for a while, a prep chef. That was it. <laughs> I was a prep chef for a while, but it was easy. I just followed like instructions but for some reason i can't do that at home I, i'm really terrible at that however i guess maybe potato wedges from scratch Ooh. like cutting the potato wedges and yeah. seasoning them and all of that stuff the dip is key to that yes there yes. used to be a restaurant i don't even know it's still in existence anymore it used to be called fuddruckers and you get the potato wedges and you dip them into the warm cheese and i know that's Ooh. probably not good but it's so good that sounds delicious. But I, Brendan, making them from home is great. And you know what the secret that I learned when I tried it is obviously when you, the tough part is scooping out the potato without ruining the shell yeah. is, I don't know if you do this too, but you brush it with garlic butter before you put the innards, like in all the stuffing back in. And then you go oh, off garlic butter. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Inbox says, good morning. All my grandma's homemade brown beans usually make it on holidays. That's from Don and Pembroke. I may, I may I have one. Oh, that's the ding is in the correct answer. Uh, mine is a little different. It's not good for the arteries, gentlemen, but mine is a dessert, sure. if you will. Okay. It is a deep fried peanut butter and jam sandwich. Whoa, wow. that's really bad for the Oh, <laughs> but it's so, so good. Okay. Okay. Run me through it. I'm All right. Here you go. You get two pieces of Texas toast and then you flatten them. Thick slab of peanut butter, slick goopy jelly, whatever you want, jam jelly, and then you batter it the same way you would do it with, uh, you know, I guess you would say fish and chips. Your batter's key because you put a little cinnamon in it. You put a little sweet stuff on it. Deep fry it for a minute and a half to minute 45. Get a little crispy texture to it. And then you pull it out. You put it on the old uh, paper. And then you put uh, the baking sugar on it. And it is lethal. It is very, like a very good. Stampede meal right there. Probably. So what, what do you what do you deep fry it in though? Do you just well just batter? Fill a pan. No, but I know. Did you just use a pot with? Oh a, yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't have the 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 stuff that you get at the you know A and W and all that stuff where you can dip the fries in it. I just got a big old pot of semi hot you know just lightly bubbling. Put it in and it just it blows up like it it gets twice the size, but yeah. it is uh, it is king. Should we go to the hammer? Let's go to the hammer here. Brian, uh, break up the monotony. What are we talking? What do you got for us food-wise? My favorite is probably goulash. Okay. All right. Yeah, I got a winner here. Pot, get some spaghetti, ground beef, some vegetables. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. Well, especially on a cold day, right? Like, this is a part of the reason Ryan decided to whip up the soup, you know? It's the season to be doing these kind of things. Definitely. Now, where'd you get your recipe from? Is it handed down generationally, or did you go TikTok route? I TikTok, but, uh, you know, watch some YouTube videos or whatever, and then steal it from there. I think everybody does that now. You used to buy the old books. Now you just go on TikTok or YouTube, and it's right there, and there's like 10 variations of it. You pick your favorite, and away you go. Exactly. Brian, good call. Good chime in from Hamilton today. I'm, I'm a fan already. Hmm. I will say this. 
we've got a couple of cookbooks in the old Faye residence, but I just go to YouTube at this point for anything because it's so all much. there. Yeah, you can find anything on there. I have a I have a whole folder on my TikTok that is saved exclusively for recipes that I want to try. And I have tried some that are terrible. And I've tried some that are excellent. Give me like one that didn't soup. turn out. Give me one that did, okay. you tried and it was okay. like, God, this is brutal. Okay. It was a big trend one where it was a cherry tomato pasta. But the thing was you melted a big block of, of feta cheese in the middle when you put it in the oven. And then you would stir it all together and put it in a blender and make a sauce out of it. And the sauce was just too rich, just too rich. There was just too much goat huh. cheese. I think it was goat cheese or maybe or feta. Is that the same thing? I can't remember. Regardless, it was too rich, but it was a big trend on TikTok. So try that. That one failed. This one is, uh, is it's just cool. It's like this guy in his 60s on TikTok who posted his wife's favorite recipe and it got 3 million likes. And it's because it's simple, it's delicious, and it was so much fun to put together. I'm looking at TikTok right now. How about this? Uh, yeah. Bacon-wrapped pickles. Uh, that's better than bacon-wrapped Oreos, which we got on the Facebook page Ooh, last That would not last be week. good. No, oh. that's terrible. Processed I, it's chocolate? It's an abomination. Yeah. Um, bacon-wrapped pickles. I mean, you put bacon and a pickle on a burger, so I, I don't see any problem with doing that. Do you Wait, guys are, like your bacon crispy or do you like it chewy? Crispy. Depends on the bacon. I've got turkey bacon right now. I grabbed it by accident. I really like that, like chewy. But yeah, when I, I get regular that. bacon, crispy. My mom is always like, you know, oh, you're going to get E. coli. Da, da, da. She cooks bacon to the point where you could utilize it as a javelin. Like it's so <laughs> thick. It's terrifying. <laughs> oh. And it just it disintegrates in your mouth. Like it's, you get no chew out of it. It immediately turns into dust. And I'm like, I'm the opposite. I like chewy. Like I'm on the border of, I may or may not get E. coli, but I'm okay with it. Dip it in a little ketchup and away we go. This one coming in says uh, into the inbox, by the way, if you want to interact with the show, 877-399-9898, would love to hear from you anywhere in Canada tonight. I'm, I'm waiting for somebody from the Maritimes because I feel like there's something there. It's the morning. The sun's almost up. This one says, have enjoyed deep-fried Mars bars in Glasgow. Ooh. That deep-fried peanut butter and jelly sandwich sounds amazing. It is. Thanks for sharing that. I promise you that the, the peanut butter gets a little goopy. It warms up the jelly just a little bit. There's a little crisp to it. There's a little bite to it. Oh, man, I'm telling you right now. But I will say, full disclosure, easy 500 calories. Easy. Yeah, I feel have... like it's more than that. I feel yeah. like it's got to be more 510. than 510. Well, to you 32 waistline guys, (laughs) see, the problem was I was in minor league baseball for 14 years. So I traveled to all these small U.S. towns and every city or every stadium had one or two of their, you know, items. Like there was a volcano burger once that was in Salem Kaiser and uh, a volcano burger is two patties, pastrami, a fried egg, mayonnaise and all the rest. And then you just try to scarf this thing down. If that's not 2000 calories right on the spot, forget it. But the pastrami and the egg is like game over. 2000. That would cancel out my halfer. My app says I burned 2200 (laughs) calories in the halfer today. Yeah. There you go. That's fantastic. That's like how I justify it. Do you eat right after the show? Yeah. You have to eat a lot. You're just constantly hungry, especially after like through the training process and then doing it. That's just... You feel like just constantly eating. And you can. You can kind of get away with it, so that's good. 
I, I couldn't even imagine this. Like, dude, I would want to eat like first kilometer. You know, what's funny is I remember when I did this, and this is my big claim to fame tonight is I once did the sun run, <laughs> but you buy all those things. Like, yeah, I'm so embarrassed. I, I, I've never felt fatter doing a radio show than tonight, by the way. But anyways, so you get all these little bells and whistles. Like, it's like you get those gummy candies that give you the jolt of energy at yeah, like the three kilometer mark and yeah. the little water bottle. Dude, all of my stuff was done by like the second kilometer and I had eight to go. Like I ate my banana. I ate all of my power chews, ate my three cliff bars, drank all my water. I had nothing. I was so gassed yeah well the little gummies they got caffeine in them so yes, if you eat do. them you're gonna crash really hard right near the end yeah, I, not like, you gotta I, space that dude, out i ate those things like right away i'm not gonna lie i had some left over i had a few before coming to work tonight because i was like i'm gonna need, I'm gonna really? need the caffeine me, gummy to get through work huh yeah i think the crash hit me like, this one says hey, hey hey brendan you never grab turkey bacon by accident that's an intentional act that could be from Dave B. Uh, no. <laughs> He's calling so. you out, man. He's calling you out. Uh, I'm pretty unaware sometimes when I'm into a podcast or something at the grocery <laughs> store and I just start reaching for things. Believe me. More in the inbox. I love food too much to pick a favorite. I don't follow recipes unless it's something new, but I love making vegetable stir fry served over any kind of rice or homemade pasta. I use whatever I have on hand when I make them. That from Denise in Dundas, Ontario. Stir fry is a, is a very safe fallback. Anything in the anything in the refrigerator goes. Yeah, just throw it in a pot. That's like uh, my my roommate makes chili, and it is just it's such good. It's the best chili I've ever had in my life. And he's literally, I was like, "What's in it today?" He's like, "I don't know. Let's see what's in the cupboard." Oh, there you go. Isn't that throw crazy? It and it's that's the beauty of chili. Everybody's got to have just like a throwaway dish like that. I don't even want to call it throwaway because that's like underselling it. I will just throw throw it in. It's I will delicious. say I married into a Filipino family. It's the best food on earth. Oh yeah, super uh, meat heavy, super rich, yeah. but the flavor is just nuts. And even the stuff that I was on the fence about early on, now I'm like all in. I can actually, it, yeah. I would like to think I could probably make a basic Filipino meal for the both of you guys if we're ever in the same room that. at the same time. Yeah, I like, love Filipino food. I mean, I grew up in the old Irish Catholic family, which is just plain mashed potatoes. Just yeah, plain mashed potatoes. No flavor. <laughs> yeah. Rob, I see where you're going because, like, I, I, my partner is Colombian, and like, I went over to their house. I'll never forget this. And I had rice, and I, I was like, I couldn't stop eating the rice. And Laura looks at me, he goes, "It's just rice." I'm like, "No, you don't understand. Yeah, it has flavor. I've never had rice with flavor in my life before." <laughs> and it's like, dude, yeah. garlic fried rice, forget about it. I eat my body weight in that stuff. And then you put some like adobo chicken on top of it. And it's just like, let's go. Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify and curious cast.ca.